units and subdivisions and selling it off to institutions. So it's a little bit crazy for me at first. But the more that I spent time in it, I was like, damn, this is really lucrative for the capital raiser. It's really lucrative for the limited partner and the GP. Let's do this. So now we're doubling down and getting into this space where I think right now a lot of people are kind of afraid of what's going on with the economy and interest rates and inflation and everything. And they're having a harder time finding deals at pencil all while in the background, this built rent thing, because there's such a extreme shortage of housing across the nation is taking off and blowing up. So I'm really excited to talk about anything that you want to, man, but that's how I got here, I guess. Wow. What a, what a great story. So let's, let's take it back to you reading the Joe fearless syndication book, right? Like why, what, what made you go, you went straight to the capital raising side of the business. You know, some people want to be an operator. Some people may want to be a capital raiser, a deal finder. Like why did you mm -hmm. go straight to capital raising for real estate? Mm, so I think the, the question for me originally was like multifamily coming from a mortgage background. Like they made a study, these things called like regulation Z or I forget what they're, I mean, all these regulations that the, the banking industry forces you to kind of, you can't advertise particular interest rates online. Right. So regulation Z till the, I forget what these are called. It's been like 2006, but these regulations prevented you from advertising interest rates. So I kind of had this concept down, like if I become a capital raiser, I can never say, Hey, I'm going to offer you 20% returns or offer you anything. But what I can do, which is what I learned from the banking industry is I can share what I do. Like I can share my business model. So I found this fourplex investor that came into town right after the crash. He went bankrupt in spec homes in San Diego and showed up here with a BK in Phoenix and was just buying a fourplex every other week. I was just like, how are you doing this, man? Like, don't you have a BK? Like, how do you get the financing to take these things down? And he's like, oh, I raised capital for them. So I was like, oh, I think I want to get into that. Is it cool if I follow you around to your different fourplex projects and we can explain to the audience, you know, on YouTube, how you take these down, how you find them, how you negotiate them, like how you become an expert in this field. And he's like, sure. So I created a YouTube channel called the Phoenix Real Estate Investors, which is still there on YouTube, like, I don't know, 15 years later and still collecting views, interestingly enough, even though it's completely different time. And this was my very first thought leadership platform. So once I posted these ridiculous videos with like rap music in the background about us taking down four plexes and we raised 625,000. I'm like, this is too easy. This is stupid. I'm doing the most ridiculous videos about us taking down four plexes and we still raised 600,000. So I was like, dude, there's gotta be something to this, right? Is the only secret just going and finding a real estate partner that's good at what he does and sharing that with the world and all of a sudden money starts coming, come, coming in. It's, it's a little mm -hmm. bit slower than that. So I'm kind of making it out to be easier than it is. But essentially, it's not too complicated. If you can find somebody that's good at the things that you want to be good at, and you can broadcast their message on podcast, on social media, wherever, whatever your platform is, it can be an avenue for a regular Joe like me to start raising capital and participate in the acquisitions and partnership and ownership of 
multifamily real estate. And I think that's kind of how I ended up here. And I think, uh, you know, the, the capital raising is something that I think a lot of people are afraid of getting into real estate, yeah. you know, because <laughs> um, raising money, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars is a lot of responsibility. But I think, you know, for me, I realized early on in my career, too, is that, you know, eventually, you know, if you really want to do a lot of deals in the real estate space, at some point, you're going to have to raise capital. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to run out of money trying to do all of the deals by yourself right. and you're a real estate junkie like myself. You know, I love doing real estate deals. And so, you know, what were like the main strategies that you you talked a little bit about platform building. But, you know, what were the main strategies that you've used so far in your real estate business mm-hmm. to raise capital? Well, what I stumbled upon originally with my first thought leadership interview based thought leadership platform was that. You can promote other people. Later on, when I started the show, I was asking people, you know, like I've raised money from joint venture guys to take down little fourplexes, but this is a whole different ball game. This is like syndication. We're like regulated as a security and we have to file for exemption so that we can be thought of and treated as differently than a Coca-Cola stock company. But I mean, what I've learned over the show and, and it's been a long time kind of learning. It's been about three years is that raising from limited partners is an incredibly different style of capital raising than raising from joint venture partners. And it requires Mm -hmm. a lot of nurturing and education and incredibly detail-oriented communication and consistent, ongoing, forever, never-ending communication with your investors. And this is kind of what, what I've learned. And when I, I came onto my first company, they're just like, where's the capital? Where's the capital? And I'm just like, well, dude, like, you, like this is a long process. So I couldn't mm-hmm. raise the money as fast as they wanted me to. So I found a hack and a shortcut to raising money quickly, which is this thing called co-GPs. In other words, taking somebody that's already got an investor database and they are looking to partner with an experienced operator but they don't want to be operators themselves in some cases. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but they're looking for their next level up, their GP card, their general partnership card. Like I want to be an owner operator. The way to do that is to partner with somebody that's already done it. And, you know, this is how I raised, I think 500,000 for the Tucson deal. And then another chunk of money, another 400 some odd money for this, um, it was a hotel development or conversion better said into a multifamily property. And then right in the middle of that capital raise, I was like, I only have access to certain kind of little deals here in Arizona. I want to self-actualize and grow into something bigger. So I left that and my GP position in that capital raise to go and launch a fund. And it's just been a crazy ride ever since, man. You know, like we've, we've, raised money for the DeRosa group and Robert Beardsley and Abel Pacheco and some of these guys like Abel actually races for some of our deals. And it's just been a really crazy journey, man. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there, there's a lot of opportunity in the real estate space to be on the co GP side, but just the capital raising side. 
Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, the answer to your question is like, how did I get into the capital racing or why did I select it? I think I stumbled upon it. Honestly, I had some interest in capital racing. I figured this one particular thing in my mind was like, if I can learn how to raise money, my services will be in demand for the rest of my life. Because mm. I, I always thought that like, now, you why know, do like, why do you think that is? That's 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 let's let's put a pin the there. Because it's the hardest part, I think. I mean, in my personal opinion, number one, I think raising capital is a separate and distinct business than owning and operating and acquiring real estate assets. So, like when you merge the capital raising piece with the acquisitions piece, then magic starts to happen. And if you can take that skill of learning how to master raising capital. You can go all kinds of places. You can partner with other syndicators. Maybe at some point in, in my journey, I'll start raising for other things like joint venture capital or, you know, who knows, like IPOs or angel investing or businesses and branding and car washes and stuff that has nothing to do with real estate. But that skill can be translated into a lot of areas. Granted, one thing that you got to know is like in order to raise capital for any specific thing, before you can do that, you have to educate and nurture an audience about that specific thing. So because I have the show, people like from Pakistan and different places of the world are just like, hey, Mr. Capital Raiser, you're the guy that raises capital. Like, send your check here. You know, we got this golf course development. And I'm just like, dude, my audience doesn't know anything about golf course. And they certainly don't know anything about investing anywhere else in the world other than the United States. So you got to educate and nurture people in a specific thing and even sub niche that down, right? Because you have A class guys, you have B class guys, you have C class or workforce housing guys, you have value add guys, you have assisted living guys, you have hotel guys, you have development guys. I mean, the, the, you can't raise capital for all of it. You have to educate and nurture a specific audience and explain to them why it makes sense to do one specific thing at least when you're starting out. I think at some point you get so good that people are just like, man, you are world-class operator, world-class capital guy. Like, I don't care what you invest in. Here's my money. And at that point you can start a blind pool. And I've interviewed plenty of people that have gotten to that stage. Like Vinny Chopra comes to mind and a bunch of other guys that are just like, Hey, we're going to put assisted living and hotels and development and value add all into one funding vehicle. You know, like we'll diversify your, your 50,000 or a million dollars or whatever it is that you invest into all of these deals. But man, for somebody like me, that's kind of starting out, like I can't do that. I have to pick one specific thing, educate and nurture people on this particular topic, make friends with them over long periods of time. And then perhaps they will kind of say, Ruben, you know, I've been watching you for a couple of years. I'll go ahead and be interested in having a conversation with you about investing into whatever it is that I'm doing, which in my case is built to rent subdivision syndications. That's a, a great way to put that because the, the nurturing aspect, I think, is one of the, the, the most important parts of capital raising, too. You know, when you have people who are coming into your database, people who are interested in, in investing, utilizing the strategies from the email marketing perspective or just those touch points that keep your audience engaged. I think that's the most important part, right? You want to send out mm -hmm. content. You want to push content to your audience, people who are interested in you and interested in investing with you um, out to them and keep them engaged into 
um, the specific niche or the investment that they're interested in too, right? Because some folks mm-hmm. don't want to be in a development deal. Some yes. folks just want to be in a property where they get, you know, cash flow on a quarterly, a monthly yes. basis. And then you most, have most people other- are more like they prefer that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, in, in for the case of development, development is obviously, you know, more risky, right? Um, it has a different risk profile. It certainly does. Exactly. And so the cash flow on that is probably more kicked down the road, uh, you know, one to two years, let's say, for example, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so your investors are probably not going to see any money until down the road. But the the risk is also in line with the return as well in development, as opposed to, you know, let's say a value add multifamily acquisitions. Yeah, so, man. So I think um, understanding your audience and understanding exactly you know, what they want is, is really important when you're bringing deals to your, to your network as well. Um, one of the things that you touched on as well was also about, um, the importance of this, of, of having a skill of, of money raising, because in this business, just because you have a good deal, it doesn't mean that the money is automatically going, going to never actually, you know, uh, people, people told me this a lot when I started in real estate, you know, if you have a good deal, the money would come. I've never had a a great deal, a great deal and money just showed up at my doorstep. Right. So I think if you're able to master the art of capital raising, you can really always, almost always have a job in real estate one, and then two, be able to create your own destiny. Right. So I think, um, you know, those are really two really good, important Mm -hmm. points. You can't raise money today from people that you didn't talk to yesterday. It's just it's an incredibly uphill battle. So like if you find a deal and then expect the money to come, just like you said, this is a common misconception and myth in the space that, oh, I'll just find the greatest deal and the money will come. That is absolutely not the case. You have to go through this process that everybody else also that's painful process, which is educating, nurturing people before they will ever do business with you. And, you know, that takes a little bit of time. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you did you mention that you started off partnering and syndications and then you went off into the the build to rent space? First fourplexes, then heavy lift syndications. Then my partner, who's a fund manager, brought me on board with him and he was doing both. Right. So our business at Legacy Acquisitions kind of has two branches. One where we're capital raisers. So we either do co-GP relationships or sometimes we create a fund that strokes a limited partner check into somebody else's syndication. But either way, half of our business raises capital for other syndicators and the other half, we're actually owner operators with a vertically integrated division of our company that specializes in the construction. So we don't hire GCs to do our stuff. I mean, the GCs are actually GPs. They're integrated partners so they have a different kind of mindset around the development and they handle that side of the business which i am no expert at even though i'm learning more and more about the development side like i don't know how to go and find a 30 acre piece of land and determine whether or not it's you know like perfectly leveled and if it's in a particular city where we know that the zoning is going to be beneficial and that the timelines for entitlements is going to be rapid versus, you know, in a big city like Phoenix, it's going to take years just to get through the the entitlement stage. So our guys are there. They're two pieces, right? The, the development piece and the acquisitions and they work together and then they need a capital infusion. So that's where me and my partners at legacy 
we bring the capital and we are all together general partners in these syndications or joint venture kind of agreements where we all own this and then we you know we bring in capital from other people to help provide the opportunity and it's very lucrative man but like you said dude it's i think here's what i've learned too man is like a lot of multifamily investors especially beginning investors they're like hey i want to get into multifamily to create generational wealth and then but they don't know how to do it so they're typically introduced by their limited partner friends and what do the lps the trendy ones typically do oh well they go with the the big guy marketer syndicator guys that are really good at branding but aren't necessarily the best syndicators on the planet and then they put their money into a three to five year deal and they're essentially just flipping property and not creating generational wealth. I've thought about this philosophy mm -hmm. a little bit. It doesn't make sense for them to do that if the if they're you know actually trying to create generational wealth. But the reality is, is that's exactly what they're doing because they're accelerating their capital gain, their entire capital by putting it into something that makes a lot of money very quickly, and then they redeploy that over and over. Hopefully, using 1031 exchanges or some kind of tax favored vehicle like you know enhanced qualified retirement plans or maybe even for the super sophisticated people they got infinite banking insurance policies that they invest a bunch of money into and then borrow against it and then put that into a real estate syndication or some kind of investment whether that's a business etc cetera, etc cetera. so i mean there's just all these strategies man it's just a really fun game that it's it's really kind of sad that the American public doesn't know that these things exist, right? Because like these syndicators yeah. and these institutional level investments, they're done by people that are just regular dudes that you went to high school with. They're they're not like incredibly intellectually sophisticated more than you are or the general human being is. They just decided to right. get into something that is called wealth creation, and their vehicle to do this is commercial real estate syndication. Yeah. Yeah. I to totally agree. I totally agree. You know, being able to provide opportunities to people who are really don't see these deals, you know, <laughs> they don't see, <laughs> they don't get an opportunity to participate I in a hundred unit, you know, multifamily deal, you know? Um, but I think, you know, that's, that's the beauty of syndications and the beauty of the, the recent laws that were created a few years, few, you know, uh, years ago that allowed people, regular people to invest with people like you, um, on deals that make sense for them and allow them to to absorb really great tax benefits as well. So um, it's, it's Yannick, just an amazing time. It's our duty and moral imperative to go out. And I, this is why I commend you for starting a podcast is because the general public doesn't know that private placements exist and they can't just go to the street corner and find syndicators and you know, multifamily fund managers hanging out. Like you have to know where to find these guys, but the access is available and the education is available primarily through podcasts. I think is one of the greatest platforms to educate the general public, whether, I mean, not just them, but like even wealthy business owners, sports athletes, guys that started an e-commerce or some kind of tech company and like became very rich and then had really t big tax bills. And they're looking for a way to like, instead of paying, you know, 50% of what I made to the government, how can I invest into real estate and save that money? Well, go hang out with dudes like Yannick that know what they're talking about in terms of investing and parking your money into 
very tax favored shelters. And hopefully you can provide them with a little bit of extra knowledge too, where you're getting people into offshore hybrid investment trust. And, you know, once again, the EQRPs and the infinite banking policies, if they can master some of this, like they become like family office level, like, you know, the multimillionaire guys, they don't just like do whatever with their money. They use very sophisticated strategies for wealth preservation and capital accumulation. So this is just a really fun topic, man. And I commend you for taking the initiative to go out and educate the public and make them understand that this is something that's actually accessible. These institutional investment grade vehicles and commercial real estate syndications are available to the entire world, not just the Americans, but like people from Japan and you know, Australia, they're just like, man, I want to invest in, in real estate in the United States. And, you know, like, but they just don't know how to do it. Or, or maybe they've, they've looked into it. And for us to be exposing the rest of the world and the entrepreneurs and the professional athletes and, you know, the guys that have created mega companies that are looking to do something with their money, this is the way to do it, man. Like real estate yeah. syndication comes with all kinds of benefits. Absolutely. Totally. And I think part of it has to do, you know, as you mentioned, the podcasting, but just, you know, technology and the way that we're interconnected too, right? Because I think if this thing was out, let's say in 2000, <laughs> you know, it's it, it'll be hard to get the word out, you know, about all the laws and, and, and opportunities for people to invest in, in someone's deal all the way, like you said, maybe from a Japan in the US, right? Just a regular working class, you know, person. So, um, it's just a really good time to 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 be an investor because you have so many opportunities out here that can seriously create the cash flow that you want and the generation of wealth that you wish to create. So um, yeah. I want to pivot and really talk about, you know, why build to rent? You know, I think build to rent is one of those strategies where we're seeing a ton of people or rather a ton of institutions or private equity capital. Yep go into built to rent instead of multifamily. So what are the opportunities in the built to rent space and why are you investing in them today? Back in the day in 09, 2010, there were a lot of people that wanted to buy big portfolios of these things. Back then they were called bulk REO packages. So all these banks had foreclosed on like millions of houses across the country and they would sell these chunks of houses to these people that had mega amounts of bucks and wanted stabilized real assets, not, you know, like stuff that you can't touch. And the problem that they ended up having is like these institutional players and guys that had mega bucks would buy all of these portfolios of houses, but they were like scatter complex portfolios, right? So you couldn't property manage them. So they loved having the asset, but they really struggled with the property management side. So over time, you know, like there was, you know, even even before the crash, there was people starting to get into spec homes and like building tracks. And typically their model was like, we'll just build a bunch of homes and then we'll sell them, sell them individually to people. But these institutional players were like, man, you know, like I want in on that action. So what started happening is that as these builders of subdivisions started getting bigger and bigger they started realizing that they could actually instead of designing their subdivisions to sell individual individually to single buyers they could probably 
build the thing out, rent it as it's being built. Once it's completely stabilized, sell the entire thing off without, you know, 288 or however many number of real estate commissions that you have to pay Just sell it off to one individual buyer. And there's billions of dollars of money that are looking for these types of portfolios where they can property manage everything in a cash flowing, stabilized asset with one property manager and one leasing agent right on site. It's like what we call horizontal multifamily, right? So a lot of people, when they think of multifamily, they think of a bunch of buildings and for the same reasons, they like having, you know, the, the ability of scale, you know, to have everything in one place. It's just one roof. And this is kind of different. We call it horizontal multifamily because it's essentially one huge multifamily property. But instead of being on balconies with no backyards, like you actually have a doggy door, you got a fence in the backyard, you got a driveway, it feels more like a home. And, you know, there's so many indicators and trends that are pushing towards build to rent being an exploding trend over other commercial real estate, including multifamily syndications, like the fact that interest rates are going up and people are having a harder time buying a property. So that's causing the prices of houses to go down. And who's going to buy a property when the house prices are going down? They're going to look at this and like cancel their contract and say, hey, if I wait six months or a year, maybe I can buy this property for $50,000 less than what's going on right now in the, you know, in the upcoming market. It hasn't even mm -hmm. really taken effect yet, but I foresee that this is going to happen. So what do they do in the meantime? They don't want to go live in a, in a third story apartment building. They still want to have that home experience. So where are they going to go? They're going to rent from somebody like me that's got a built to rent subdivision. And it's going to increase the ability for us to make money over time. So while the multifamily industry, I think, is... Here's what I've been hearing anyways, you know, is that we're having harder and harder times raising capital because a lot of people are very concerned about what's going on with inflation. It's harder to make multifamily, you know, big 300 unit apartment complex pencil because the rates are higher than they were just a year ago. And we don't even know what's going to happen over the next rate. So there's kind of like an easing off of of this kind of people that are playing in multifamily, or I should say the limited partners that are playing in multifamily. And they're just kind of like waiting in the meantime, like built to rent is exploding because there's all these things. It's more lucrative. So it's just a lot of fun. I would say that that's why, you know, like I'm starting to look at it a lot closer and instead of raising capital for other multifamily value add guys, we're kind of doubling down and saying, Hey, why don't we become the built to rent guys? Let's have people come to us. And, you know, like they're going to make a lot more money, not only the capital raisers that become part owners of the funds and syndications that we're doing in the built to rent space, but the limited partners on these 506C exemption syndications are going to be able to double their money in like 36 months. Right. And, and yeah. across the industry average, people in multifamily can typically invest, or I should say, double your money in about five years. There's some yeah. guys like here in Phoenix, like uh, the... Zach Haptonstall, guys at Rise 48, they can double your money like in two years. They're absurd. But it's very untypical to find that kind of uh, play. So if you can diversify into a couple things, right? So it's it, because it's been getting harder and harder to make deals pencil in the value add space, people are moving into assisted living, student housing, you know, senior living, development, heavy lift. Um, but what we ended up choosing was, you know, build to rent development, which has been 
incredible strategy of, of luck that we kind of just happened, you know, through our networking, we came across some developers that were really good at what they, they did and they just needed some capital. And we're like, we looked at their underwriting and what they were trying to do. And we're just like, geez, man, this is set to explode. Let's, let's get in on this and let's, let's ride the wave. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's, it's, you know, in this time where we are today, you know, we're talking August, 2022, um, it is the the dynamics, the supply and demand. First and foremost, the supply and demand dynamics for housing is just insane. Mm -hmm. And if I was an investor in the real estate space, focused on residential housing, just just residential housing, you know, it is one of the best runways that I'm seeing right now in the real estate space from a forecasting perspective on demand, right? Um, housing has just gotten you know expensive. Um, rates are going up. People are still interested in, you know, looking for single family housing because obviously due to the pandemic, right? Um, there was a huge migration trend outside of inner cores out into housing. But I think right now is a great time to look at those opportunities also because there's an influx of institutional capital looking for real estate for, for, huge. for, um, single family rentals. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of times when we take a look at markets, when we take a look at where's the money flowing, we start to look at the institutional guys and see what they're doing first. Right. Because if we have a bunch of inst institutional capital that's flo flooding into a market, I mean, they have tons of hundreds of thousands of dollars behind data that allow them to drive their decision making, too. And when you add that couple with the trends in the market, I mean, I'm, I think, you know, built to rent is just a phenomenal space to invest in. Um, you know, what are, are in, and I think you, you touched on the yields as well, right? I mean, I didn't, I didn't touch on that. And I'm not the right person to talk about that. I don't really spend time in that, that kind of mindset, although that's exactly why a lot of these guys are after yield. But what I was going to say is that, you know, you mentioned it is that there's lots of money looking to park it in, you know, from the institutions into built to rent. I don't know if you ever heard of Neil Bawa. He's also referred to yeah. as the mad scientist of multifamily. He spends a lot of time in development. And he I watched the webinar with him recently. He's talking about these billions and billions and billions of dollars of institutions and REITs and all these kind of like family offices, people that are trying to park their money and build to rent. And the demand is so huge that like us little mom and pop, you know, build to rent subdivision syndicators, we can only provide 2% of what they have money ready to to buy this product for yeah so it, it's just it's just i mean there's incredible demand from the institutions to purchase these kind of properties so it's it's just for that reason as well it's a great time to get into this space yeah yeah totally agree so on the topic of your fund you know if someone is is looking to create a fund you know yeah. i'm i have never created a, a fund topic. yet you know all the stuff that we are doing right now is 506b but how do you create your own real estate fund? Yeah. So there's, I wish there was a handbook that taught this, but you know, my number one recommendation to any limited partner before they invest with some kind of syndicator is like, go talk to 10 syndicators. What's well, the same thing with creating your own fund, right? They should go talk to at least 10 syndication attorneys on like what structure is is available for you to do it, right? Because I think, you know, people can start specific purpose vehicles. They can create blind pool funds. 
They can do some kind of a hybrid in between, which I refer to as a series LLC, or some people call them a deal by deal segregated fund where they can look at your private placement memorandum and see your deal before they decide to invest in it. But if they do invest in it, they can choose to continue to diversify in your fund into multiple deals or not. And so this is a really creative strategy, but like, where do you get advice to even learn about this? Well, one place is the Capital Raisers show. But before you go off and say to yourself, hey, I want to raise this fund so that way the money will just be there when I'm ready to take down deals. That's not the reality of it. Like you have to do the same process as every other syndicator. You have to build, educate, nurture and sustain a communication level that's very high with your investors over long periods of time. But. You want to talk to what I refer to as a business fund architecture consultant, because if you go to a syndication attorney and say, hey, I want to create a fund, they're going to write the docs for you, but they're not going to analyze your business and look at your capacity to raise capital and decide for you or give you advice on whether or not you're even in a situation where you can raise capital. So I recommend talking, I recommend talking to guys like Joel Block. Um, man, there's a bunch of people. Ike Muda Bana and oh, I'm forgetting one of the most important names. Anyways, like you want to talk to somebody that is not just going to write docs for you, but that's actually going to look at your business model, help you understand, you know, how to distribute the money to, to your investors through K1s. And, and they're going to analyze whether or not your idea makes even sense before you talk to a syndicator. So I recommend a little bit, a little bit of that. And if you want to, you know, get on a call with me. Like, I don't even care if you invest with me. If you want to launch a fund, like come talk to me. I'll put you in the hands of the right people that can help you create your own fund for whatever it is that you want to do. Cause I've come across enough people that are just like either scammers or they don't know what they're talking about, or their business model is on making the money to put you in a fund or the attorneys, you know, a lot of times they'll overcharge you or not even you know, look at what you're trying to do. Um, and help you analyze whether it makes sense to do what you're trying to do. They're just trying to protect you and, you know, get paid for creating legal docs for you, but that doesn't help you with your business. So reach out to me. I mean, I don't care if, once again, if you do business with me or not, I think it's really important for people to have access to this knowledge. And like I said earlier, there's no handbook. There's no like place where you can just get educated on how to create a fund because, the only way that you can do it is by talking to different lawyers. And every time that you should talk to a lawyer, they're going to tell you something different. You know, every single attorney does it a little bit differently. So how do you dissect all of this knowledge that's floating around there from different attorneys? Well, you just got to talk to as many of them as possible and other people that are either fund managers themselves and or these fund architecture consultants or people like me. I'm not a lawyer, by the way. But if you come talk to me, I'll put you in contact with Joel Block and some of these other guys that are they're pretty amazing at helping you determine what kind of fund is right for you. Oh, and there's the other part too, man. The administration of your fund, right? So there's got to be distributions. Like, how do you manage that? Like, especially if you're not an accountant, do you like go hire some regular dude off the streets, the CPA? They don't know what the hell they're doing. You need special systems. And the guys at avester.com, and there's a couple other places that charge even more than they do, they can help you create a platform. So as you're raising capital, people can see what you're doing, and then distributions can be all done through this thing so that you're not driving yourself mad like with the, with the acquiring of capital, the putting it into a portal, the giving them access to see what's going on with the deal through these new technological 
syndication programs that you know everybody has to have these days because you know like the old school way of doing business doesn't exist anymore you have to have a portal where you know your partners your limited partners are like up at three in the morning in their underwear and they can see exactly what's going on in the property they don't they don't they can't just rely to pick up the phone because you know as syndicators we're, we're so busy we can take those calls but it can be challenging depending on how big you get to have access to your limited partners. So you want to get in with the, the right sweet spot, right? Somebody that's got the technology, but that can still pick up the phone with you because as people scale, you know, they stop engaging on social media. They, they're just too busy. So mm -hmm. for me, I think the, the scaling guy that's got about 2000 units or somewhere in that range, you know, like you don't want to start with somebody that's got hundred units or less and, you may not want to do like the Grant Cardone, you know, where they have like a billion dollars of assets under management and they can't talk to you on the phone anymore. So find that sweet spot for whatever that is for you. Yeah, uh, that's 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 great. Great uh, golden nuggets there. Um, finding good professionals or great professionals who can actually not only give you great advice, but also help you in your business. You know, there's a lot of professionals out there that would just, you know, be happy with taking your money and and moving and pushing papers along, but that doesn't help you move your business forward. Right. There are a lot of things that, that, you know, people invest in different asset classes and people have different goals and objectives and things that they want to do in the future. And so, you know, getting someone who can help you get to that level, 100% great advice. So Ruben, let Wait, me ask yeah. you a question. Um, mm -hmm. You know, tell me a time in this journey where you felt stuck and frustrated and, uh, maybe it was a breakthrough moment for you where you may have had to, you know, develop systems or, you know, it was yeah. a real estate deal that you had to get past. Maybe some of our listeners are going through the same struggle today. You know, how did you get through maybe a breaking moment or a struggle that you've had in this journey? I'm not sure that everybody will be able to relate with this because they think that creating a fund is a little bit outside of their capacity and, and their reach. There's, I'll tell you one thing, like starting a fund and raising capital in a fund, there's people that do their very first capital raise in a fund. So it is possible. But when I was with my last company, you know, I had a salary. I was a capital raiser. I could participate as a GP in deals that I raised money for. And then when I decided to leave to kind of grow my wings, it was probably very terrifying for me in terms of like, I felt like a loser. I was just like, Oh, I don't know. Like, who am I going to hire to be my syndication attorney? Where am I going to get the money for this? How am I going to create my own brand? How am I going to do the automations? How am I going to do all this? I have no partners. Like, what am I going to do? Yes, I can find great syndicators, but like managing my own investors, I don't have the systems. It's very terrifying to do that. So the fast track to be able to break through this kind of a, a setback or, you know, situational place where you are trying to grow, but don't know how is to go find somebody, and this probably sounds easier than, than it is, go find somebody that's already doing exactly what you are doing, and hopefully you have created something, some brand or some recognition for yourself or some value-add proposition that you can provide for some sponsor, and then just go latch on with that sponsor who's already good at exactly the things that you want to do. I highly recommend if you want to get into multifamily syndication, like don't do it by yourself. Like go partner with somebody that's got incredible amounts of experience doing it 
And same thing for fund managers. If you want to become a fund manager, don't just launch a fund, like not knowing what you're doing, like go launch a fund with somebody that's already launched funds, be a partner with them, provide value for them, whether that's automations, marketing, capital raising, or whatever it is that they need. And, you know, ride their coattails, let them teach you the business. Like, don't try to do it by yourself. This is a team sport, ladies and gentlemen, for anybody that's out there that wants to do this, don't hang out with rookies, go and partner with somebody that can help you along the way. That is the key to this, you know, business and to creating success in this business. 100%. You know, when I started off in this business, I thought that I can do it all by myself. Right. And then I started, you know, underwriting deals, trying to raise money, trying to put it, put together a team, trying to find contractors, trying to find this, that, and the third. And so you hit it 100% on the nail. You know, this business is a team sport and real estate is no exception is what I like to say. And so if you can find someone who is doing exactly what you're doing, I mean, it can accelerate your success, you know, a thousand miles per hour, you know, and and and, and also I like to say, you know, if, if you're hanging around four rich people, you're going to be the fifth rich one, right? Yeah. From just being around them, soaking up all of the knowledge. And I mean, success, you know, just leaves clues. I need to go find like five skinny people to hang out with because <laughs> they can turn me into a skinny guy. <laughs> hey, hey the, the same thing applies. <laughs> so, so Ruben, you've been on this interesting journey, right? If you had to start it all over again, you know, what would you do differently that you think would contribute to your success? I don't think I would do anything differently, man. It's, it's not that there was not corrections that could have been made, but like everything that you go through is actually God planned to de and designed in such a way so that you can become the person that you become through those trials and tribulations. So I wouldn't change. I mean, I wouldn't risk being a different human being today by fixing it. It could have, it could, could lead you into a whole different path where, you know, if things were easier or if I didn't struggle, it's kind of like the, the butterfly that like has to struggle to get itself out of the cocoon and, you know, like you want to, I've heard this kind of metaphor where you want to cut the cocoon open and let the, the butterfly come out and fly. But the reality is if it doesn't struggle, it won't be strong enough to fly. So, you know, like there shouldn't be, I don't think, um, a situation where you go back in history and say, man, I wish I could have done this thing differently. You know, yeah. maybe no, no, man, just, just let yourself go through the process. Always be learning. And I wouldn't, I don't think that I would change a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, you know, your struggles, I, I think is what builds a lot of character in this entrepreneurial journey, right? You know, things are never going to go a hundred percent as planned, but, you know, being able to say I survived some of the scars and, and having that um, peace within that struggle is oh, something so. to be, to be happy about. One piece of advice I would have given myself though, is like, don't compare yourself to others. Right. So like I've, I know some people that were coming up at the same time that I was and they grew their business way quicker. And like, I was like, well, I mean, when I compared myself to them, it made it deflated my self image of myself. I'm just like, how come I'm not as good as them? Like, they're no better than me. Like, do I just suck at this business? And I think we have a tendency to do that. Like, I would just like try to put a calming voice in, in my own ear and say, Hey man, the process that you're going to go through is exactly the process that you need to go through. Don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to who you were 12 months ago. And, you know, as long as you focus on your own personal path and growth and your journey, instead of comparing yourself to others, I think that would have helped me stress a lot less. Honestly. Yeah. 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 
I think that's uh that's that's really good advice. Um, you know, in, in the world of social media, exactly. You know, we like to compare ourselves. You know, that's kind of the world that we're in. It's easy to to see, you know, who's doing what, as opposed to where it was. You know, maybe ten, fifteen years ago, right? So I think the psychology of that, of just staying in your lane, running your own race, is a part of um, your journey, right? And just realizing that hey, everyone is is going to mature at different levels in their in their journey everyone is going to hit certain breaks at certain times but as long as you stay on the track and just focus on that end goal 100 you'll get to it so um last question you know what's your secret sauce for your success today you know what what what's what's your what's your secret sauce so for me dude i'm just uh I love going into spiritual kind of books and getting advice from guys like Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra. And, you know, even on the peak performance side, I'm a big fan of Napoleon Hill and Tony Robbins and those types of guys. So like surrounding yourself with that kind of material and people that like that material has been a, a huge, huge component of, of my success and kind of like my go-to when I'm like stressed out. Like if I can, especially when I'm super stressed out, if I could just turn on a disc with Wayne Dyer on there, dude, his voice just soothes me. Yeah, you know, so I would say like, if you can find something that calms you down, because we all go through this, right? Like it's, it's a stressful yeah. business. If you can find something that can ground you and level you and kind of get you back into balance and realignment and calmness and peace and attraction and abundance versus, you know, like scarcity and fear and like hung, you know, like, hatred and hunger and envy like you you want to spend your energy levels in the places that are high energy versus you know like go into these kind of badder you know worse emotions or, or whatnot i don't know if i explained that correctly or used you know eloquently explained it but essentially if you can find something that calms you down man go to it yeah yeah i think everyone including myself can use can use that right this business is very stressful at times depending on you know what role you play in the business. Some people are, you know, passive, you know, LP investors. Some people are active investors, but having that, that, that piece at the end of the day is something that <laughs> I definitely myself need to work on. So Man, Ruben, if, um, it, <laughs> I got to say this though, dude, if you're this good before you haven't even launched your podcast, dude, you're going to be a supremely successful podcaster, man. Congratulations, dude. You are a really good host. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I really appreciate it. So Ruben, talk about your, your capital raising show and how listeners can uh, follow you, what you're doing, your deals, everything about your company. Yeah, typically, well, my company and my podcast are separate, right? So you can check out our offerings at legacyacquisitions.com. But my show, I think maybe more of the audience will be interested in that. Go to capitalraisershow.com or your favorite podcast platform. You know, we're going on to season three. The first season was all about learning how to raise capital from limited partners. The second season was about, you know, let's talk to fund managers and ask them how they created funds and what are fund structures and what do you need to know about creating your own fund. And season three which is about to launch on August 30th is going to be more like ultra rich people hanging out with family offices. My new partner, Richard C. Wilson on the capital raiser show has got a company called the family office club. So he's going to be providing me some guests that are like super mega ultra wealthy institutions and family offices. And I'm going to be very interested to explore, you know, when it makes sense to, instead of raising money from a hundred limited partners to, to raise, you know, $10 million, 
what if you got all that money from just one dude and what would that do to, to make you scale? And you know, like there's going to be some pains to do that. Like where do you even find these guys? But it's going to be fun exploring that. So if you're interested in raising capital, I think this is one of the only shows on the particular topic, which sounds crazy because I think 50% of commercial real estate syndication is the capital raising. So go check that out. It's really fun show. I have high energy, just like you heard on this show, man. I have a lot of fun. And it's a blast. It's very educational and informative. Just find us wherever you can find podcasts. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So check out Ruben's capital raising show. Um, that is going to, you know, tremendously help you in your capital raising. He shared a lot about strategies on capital raising. He shared about built to rent, you know, just his journey of getting into the real estate space and being where he is today. So thank you to the listeners for tuning into today's episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Let's take action. Be great today. And remember, real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So thanks again, Ruben. Awesome. Leave Yannick a five-star review, guys. Peace is great. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.